0: Amen. All right. Can everybody hear me? All right. Good. Y'all know I'm going to get louder than this anyway. So. All right. Can you hit that up, man? Appreciate that. All right. We're going to be in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. It's a little chilly, y'all. I guess it is October. All right. Let me get get situated. Romans chapter one. I like this book, y'all. All right, so in Romans chapter 1, our, our series is called Something Ain't Right. We're, gonna, we're walking through Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3. And so what you'll notice if you are alive and you pay attention at all, uh, we have a lot of problems going on right now, yeah? Yeah, there's a lot of different things and a, a, a lot of different categories of wrong, if you will. And what everybody agrees upon is that something ain't right. Now, there's disagreements over what the source of the issue is, but people on all sides of every issue are indicating that something is not right. And what, what, what they are, are realizing is that there is a fundamental problem in humanity. There's a fundamental problem in the world. You know, I, y'all might know I'm a dork, I'm a nerd, and so I, I like to read history. And one of the things that's interesting is history often repeats itself. Right? So we're having uh, issues with racial strife. That ain't new. We're having issues with pandemics. That ain't new. We're having issues in politics. Neither is that new. Okay? So so something that, that there's something fundamentally wrong that we keep seeing over and over again in the history of humanity. Now, if that is the reality, if there are issues going on that repeatedly happen. The question is, how do we thrive in a world that has issues all the time? How do we thrive? How do we live a fulfilling life in a world that seems like it can't get right? And that's why we're going to turn to Romans 1, verse 8. We're going to read to verse 17. And just so, hey, what's, what's the radio station? anybody in the car, 92.3, 92.3. All right, so we're going to start Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and telling the good news about his son. That I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if somehow in God's will, I may at, may at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I want, don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you, but was prevented until now. In order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you open up our ears, open up our hearts to, to understand your word. Lord, I pray that we would not only understand it, but Lord, that you would work in our hearts by the spirit to obey it. Lord God, we don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers of your word. So, so I'm asking that, that you would work heart change today in me and in all those who are listening by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what's interesting is you look at uh, uh, verse uh, 7, and excuse verse 8, and he says that the news of their faith is reported around the whole world. Their faith was known throughout the whole world because, listen, he's writing to the Christians in Rome. Now, Rome at the time was the capital city of a global empire that stretched all the way from Europe all the way deep into Asia. And he says that their faith was known throughout the whole world. Now, what's interesting is, is at that time, the the Christian church was not a large church. And compared to all that was happening in Rome and in the empire at large, it strikes me uh, odd that their faith is known throughout the whole world. Now, what we have to know about Rome is this, it's a city known for its sophistication and wealth. There's various types of philosophies being explained. There's there's speeches all the time, people pontificating, if you will. It also has all this wealth because it has tax revenue coming from Europe, Africa, and Asia. It was also known for its sensuality and violence. It was a culture of promiscuity. And up to half of the city's population was enslaved. They had these gladiatorial games where people would watch people fight to the death for entertainment. If there ever was a city with disparity, injustice, waste, moral decay, it was this one. Yet in this city, there was a church whose faith was known throughout the whole world. When we have a, a, the, the church father, John Christosom, he's, he's from the fourth century. He's commenting on the church in Rome. He says, those who proclaim the gospel were poor and common men of no notable family and born to those of no family. But none of these things hindered the progress of the word. So great was the power of the crucified to carry the word everywhere. So we have this faith that's, thriving in a culture that is full of decadence, of, 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 of vice, of, of division. And the question is, how in the world did a faith that is known for freedom and purity and self-control, modesty and generosity thrive in a culture that was known for the opposite? It not only thrived in Rome, but this, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, he, he put it in every uh, uh, square inch of the empire. He is going and preaching the gospel and churches are being established and the faith is growing. So we should look to the example of this church and to, to the example of the Apostle Paul for what we should do right now. All right, so that's what we're going to do for the, the rest of the text. Look at verse 9. Our lives should be marked by devotion and prayer. Verse 9 says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and telling the good news about his son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. See, verse 9 indicates that the good news about Jesus should produce heartfelt Devotion. What I'm saying is that a surface level faith will not quite cut it. One of of the things that I have been grieved about over the past however long this situation has happened, eight months, is that I have seen people depart from the faith. I have seen people shrink back from the life of the church. That, that in times of increased social pressure and all these arguments that, that, that people are, are revealing that their devotion is to other things and not to the God of the gospel. See, so many things are seeking our attention and seeking our devotion, but we have to cultivate devotion and service to God. If, if we are at war and, and these things are, are, are trying to lure us to this way and to that, we have to double down and what it means to pursue and seek and serve the living God. Now, here's the thing. That's not different than what it used to be pre-COVID and pre-shutdowns, right? We have to be devoted to the scriptures. There's no true devotion without devotion to the word. And we have to pour out our hearts in prayer. What's so interesting to me is that as Paul is writing to a church that is facing all of these issues, he's like, I've been praying for you. I'm like, man, that's it? Yeah, come on, you've been there, right? You Thank you. No, but, but, but he is devoting himself to the regular means of grace. See, sincerity in the gospel leads to consistent prayer. Beloved, we can see in this text that that we need to pray for one another. I need you to pray for me and I need you to pray for one another because, again, our hearts are being tempted to go this way and that way. And we need spiritual help from from the Holy Spirit to keep us grounded and firm in the word. If we know that there's a war going on for our affections, then that should lead us to intercede. Beloved, that we would pray for the church regularly and that we would keep a list of needs of those around us, that we would be consistent in that. Not only is his life marked with devotion and prayer, we look at verse 11. He says that he longs for fellowship with the church. Look at verse 11. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So in the middle of a world that is vying for our attention and our affection, we need spiritual encouragement that is produced by fellowship. Here's the thing about it. We can't have spiritual encouragement without interpersonal relationship. You can't have spiritual encouragement biblically all by yourself. See, when we are isolated, we are prey for the spiritual enemy. I don't know if you've ever been watching a movie and you see uh, like uh, one person walking down the street. Maybe it's a dark, big city. And then they start walking down a really dark alley. And in your mind, you're like, well, we already know that that ain't going. That's not going to work so well. Right. I mean, you're like, I I wouldn't have done that. Now, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. But when we isolate ourselves from spiritual fellowship. This is exactly what we're doing, putting ourselves in danger without anybody to walk our, watch our back. Beloved, it cannot be this way. Opportunities for fellowship are, are not simply to, to suck our time up, but they are to foster spiritual safety. So when we gather together for worship and when we meet in missional community, and we have men's breakfast, all the things that, that we are trying to do, I'm not trying to add something to your list. I just don't want you to walk down dark alleys. What's interesting is, is Paul is saying that he can't see them right now and he's writing a letter, yet the letter is not sufficient for the fellowship. In other words, like, like the letter was the video chat of that day. Like that was a top-notch technology and it, it worked well. I mean, we're reading it. It communicated something, yet something about being together was irreplaceable. Yeah, something about actually seeing somebody is irreplaceable. See, if we cannot be together... We do what we can, but we still long to be together. Listen, as we have endured this pandemic and try to make different decisions, it's been very frustrating that we can't have the level of fellowship that we once had. But nonetheless, we pursue it anyway to the the best that we can. Now, he says, I want to be with you so that I can share my spiritual gift with you and that we can be encouraged by one another. Does anybody need encouragement? It could just be me. I need some encouragement. Here's the craziest thing is that that God has given the Holy Spirit to each Christian. And each Christian has a particular spiritual gift. And when we get together in fellowship, we are encouraged by these specific things by hearing God's word taught, by another person's generosity, by, by another person's prayer, by another person's service. See, God has given all of you a spiritual gift, and it actually counts. It's meaningful, it provides legitimate encouragement. If you avoid fellowship, you are not only doing something that is a detriment to yourself, but you are withholding the very means of encouragement that God has for the church. One of the interesting things about spiritual gifts is that God himself comes to us through the presence of his people. Something so simple that seems so minuscule, like yesterday when when the men got together and had breakfast. Like, listen, the skies did not part open, okay? But I left encouraged. (laughs) I heard people speak about God's word, their struggles and their reliance upon the Lord. And when I went home, I was more encouraged than when I went there. Beloved, we have to fight for these these means of fellowship because the Spirit of God uses each other to be be encouraged and strengthened. And beloved, we need that in this hour. What's interesting is that no one is exempt from this encouragement. Listen, Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the letters of the New Testament, he says, I have a spiritual gift. I want to come to you and share it, but I need to be encouraged too. Right? There's a mutual encouragement happening. Lone rangers demonstrate their spiritual immaturity. If you think that you can have a vital spiritual life without genuine fellowship, you are saying that you are more mature than Apostle Paul. And we all know that's crazy. Unless you've been planting churches all across the nation, I don't know. All right, so long, Lone Ranger saying that I, I don't need that. That's not a pursuit. I'm not going to try to make it happen. It demonstrates that they don't really understand what spiritual maturity is. Beloved, I think the thing that, that prevents us from, from deep fellowship with one another is pride. We have a sense of self-sufficiency. I'll be all right. I'm good. Or it might even be like this. Well, I'll just wait till they call me. I'll wait till they, they come to my house. No, no, no. Beloved, we have to humble ourselves and say, no, I need the spiritual encouragement. You need the spiritual encouragement. We got to figure it out. So, so we see him trying to encourage them to dedicate themselves to what's so interesting. Is not something that's strange or unfamiliar, but to things that are usual and vital. Not only this, is, is he demonstrates that in the middle of what is a chaotic world, he demonstrates his trust in God's sovereignty. Look at verse 13. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I've had among the rest of the Gentiles. So if you go back to verse 10, we know that he had been praying specifically to go meet with them. Right? He's like, if it's somehow in God's will, I just want to be with y'all. See, things were not going as planned for Paul, right? Yet he entrusted himself to God's will. He didn't get angry with God. Is 2020 going as you had planned? No, man. Yet just like Paul, we can remain confident in God's sovereignty and God's will. Now, here's the interesting thing. I know you've been there. you have be like, God, why isn't this happening? It's something good. It's something for you. Is this not a bad thing I want to happen? Right? Like, Paul's like, I want to go help them. And Providence says no. What are we to do with that? He wanted to bear fruit. It's not like I wanted to go to Rome to, like, you know, fight somebody. <laughs> you know, like, I just, I want to go be helpful. And yet, yet the, God's sovereignty has closed the door. Yet at the same time, we don't use God's sovereignty as an excuse not to pursue good because he's still pursuing it, yes? He's still writing a letter. He's still trying to get there. Beloved thing, God has put things in your heart that you want to do, that you feel like you've been prevented from doing. That, that, that does not mean that you have to stop pursuing it. Yet he pursued what was good, grounded in peace yeah he he pursued he still pursued that which was good the thing that god laid on his heart see we we have to step back and and on one hand we realize that god directs all things for his glory and the good of his people yet at the same time he has ordained that i pursue which is good so the sovereignty of, of god means that i work hard but when i go to sleep i sleep in peace yeah, we, we can still work towards the thing that God put on our heart. But when we lay our head down, we say, but your will be done. Whatever you would want. So so we, so, so we, so we remain with, 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 with a sense of trust and even a sense of joy in God's sovereignty. And then he goes on, he says, not only do I want you to remain uh, at peace with what God is doing, but I want you to share the gospel with everybody. Look at verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is crazy. In a world where things are not as they should be, there's all these issues going around. Paul says, what I am obligated to do is to preach this gospel. The language he used is is that the gospel is owed to those around us. You know, when we share share something about God to other people, we think we did them a favor. But beloved, according to this, it is our duty that if we don't share God's gospel, that we have withheld something that belongs to somebody else. We have stolen a piece of information that will provide hope. It's not a favor. It's the other person's right. And what's crazy is I'm obligated to Greeks and barbarians. I'm obligated to those at the top of the social ladder and the bottom of the social ladder and everywhere in between. They all need the words of the gospel. So one of the things I've noticed is that that as you talk with people and if they have any sense of belief in God at all, they want him to direct them. If he's real, just can you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing? Everybody wants a word from God. Listen, this is from Hebrews 1 and 2. It says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Get this. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We want a word from from the Lord. The Lord says, I sent the word. (laughs) I sent the word of the Lord Jesus. I just think, I also think it's interesting. So he's writing to Christians, right? He's like, I can't wait to come see you. I'm going to preach the gospel to y'all. They'd be like, I, I think I know what that is, right? We, I'm already, I already believe, <laughs> right? But beloved, there's something about hearing the word of the gospel that doesn't only save, but it strengthens the faith. We have to hear about this God who loves us enough. They didn't stand on the sidelines. And he didn't even send just hopeful words of encouragement, but he came and lived among us, endured everything, every piece of frustration that you can imagine, he himself endured and was perfect and sinless. And he died in our place to give us salvation. We need this message. We need this word from God. And one of the last things Paul wants the Romans to know is that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Look at verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I want you to understand why he would be ashamed. You're like, of course he's not ashamed. People wonder today if the gospel is sufficient for the complexities that we face. Yeah? Yeah? Imagine what Paul faced. He's in Rome. People are enslaved. They're killing people in big stadiums. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And he shows up and he's like, I got this news about this man named Jesus. And I feel like they'd be like, well, can't you see everything? Can't you give me something else? I need you to explain. Like, give me. I I need something more than that. See, with with societal troubles, political battles, failing morality, don't we need something else to say? But, beloved, trouble, trouble is not new. We need God's word in the gospel now. Now, I'm going to be clear. Don't hear me say that we just preach the gospel. We're not only preaching the gospel, but it is what's primary, what provides power, what provides change. See, what is primary is, is not what we only need, but we definitely need that. If you're going to get in your car and you're like, what's the primary thing I need to do to get somewhere? Well, you put your gas on the pedal. But there's some other stuff you got to do, too, though right? You probably should steer a little bit. But, but you can't go nowhere if you don't put the gas on the pedal. Beloved, there's no movement if the gospel is not central. There's no power if the gospel is not preached. See, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And here's the thing, it's not because Paul didn't have something else to say. We know from the scriptures that Paul was a theologian and a philosopher. He knows so much knowledge that in Peter's letter, he says, sometimes Paul be writing stuff that's confusing. Peter is like the top apostle, like but Paul, he be writing stuff I don't even understand. Listen, when, he's de- when Paul was debating philosophers, they get so flustered with him that they decide that they should just beat him up rather than actually listen to what he has to say. That means that they lost the argument. Okay, so, so it's not because Paul is dumb that he, that he decides to only and primarily share this gospel. But beloved, we just don't need ideas. We need power. Is that not what he says? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. Beloved, it's not that people don't know what they ought to do. <laughs> Is that they know what they ought to do and they don't. There has to be some transformative power and that is found in the proclamation and the meditation of the gospel. See, God, the reason that that, that the gospel is powerful is because God himself is revealed in the gospel. When he says that in the gospel, the, the righteousness of God is revealed. We see God's righteous standards. That he has standards for human flourishing. We see that mankind has consistently failed that standard. That's why we see creation is routine, routinely put in danger. And then we see the God of grace having mercy on those who have done evil by sending his son. He in this idea of substitution that, that we deserve some sort of pay for the evil that we have done. But Jesus looks at us in love and says, though you deserve death from breaking God's law, I will. get on the cross in your place and not only that that jesus christ raises from the dead and says this this vindication that i deserve the fact that I, i i am innocent i want to give you my innocence beloved this is a message of powerful forgiveness the god of power sends the spirit to effect change in the heart hear me clearly I'm not saying that things don't need to be talked about. I'm not saying that things don't need to be be fixed. But beloved, I'm saying that we need God's power. And his power comes from his gospel. I love that he, he ends. He says, look, he says, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, in, in a world of, of radical change, of Of things feeling shaky, people need to be able to stand on something that's not shaking. They need to trust in something that won't lie. They need to put hope in something that won't fail them. Beloved, that is God's word. You know, he's quoting from Habakkuk when he says the righteous will live by faith. And what's happening in Habakkuk is, is the, the, the Jewish nation is about to be uh, overtaken by Babylon. It's like the worst case scenario, right? The nation is going to be destroyed by a bigger, stronger nation. And he says to Habakkuk, but you trust in my word. You trust in my word. I will protect you. I will deliver you. Beloved, we have to be people who listen to God's word. So, with all of this said, in hard times, what's interesting is that we dedicate ourselves to what is most basic, right? In hard times, we dedicate ourselves to that, that's most basic. Now, here's this is gonna seem funny to y'all. I, my kids were in, uh, we were in this room and they were playing and there's a lot of toys in the room, and they just made a humongous mess. And I looked at the mess. And I was like, oh, man, how am I going to clean this up? And the thought came to me. I was like, well, I guess you just start picking stuff up. The same thing I would do if it was a little messy. I do if it's a lot messy, <laughs> you, right? You just, you, it might take you a little longer. It might take some more uh, focused effort, but it's fundamentally the, the same thing. You just pick up the toy and you put it in the basket. Even if there's 50 bazillion toys, you still do the same thing. Beloved, when things are, are shifting, what we need is faithfulness faithfulness to do that which we know we ought. So Paul says, you know, it's crazy. You need to pray. Yo, it's crazy. You need to to seek out fellowship. Yo, it's crazy. You got to trust in God's sovereignty. Yo, it's crazy. You have to trust in the God of the gospel. Beloved, we commit ourselves to that which is most basic so that we would remain fruitful and useful for his kingdom. Now, I don't know how to segue into this, but I just need, I need to give you all a theological category. We're going to go to Sunday school for a minute. Is that okay? Y'all like you've been talking about. lot. It's okay. All right, listen. I want you to understand. So we're, a lot of times we're, we're like, okay, but, but will well, what about society, though? What do we do? What do we do? Okay. I want you to understand this, this idea of vocation. Vocation is a theological category, and it means that we all have different and varied callings from God, and the way that we serve our neighbor is by being faithful in the callings that we have. So let me make it real plain and simple. Will Broaddus has a couple of callings, a couple of vocations, all right? My primary one is that uh, I'm a husband, right? I'm a father. I'm a pastor. In order for me to be faithful, I fulfill my calling to the best of my ability. Now, here's the deal. That is primarily where justice is done. How do my kids get taken care of? I go to work. If somebody wants to do injustice to my family, who who needs to step up? Me. Now, we all have various vocations, right? And that that also applies to your job. What's interesting is is when we look at the church— it started at this, as a small group in Rome. And I told you how Rome was jacked up, right? Rome's real jacked We got a lot of stuff jacked up. But, but, but by the end of the day, uh, more, more people had trusted in Christ. And then they, they stopped doing the gladiatorial games. They developed hospitals. They developed orphanages. They started developing all these various things. Why and how did they do it? They didn't just do it one day. They all realized that they had various callings and specific roles to fill, and they did those faithfully and trusted God to do the work. Okay, so listen, so we all have a a particular job. I remember when I worked uh, at at, at the bank, you know you can do that job unethically, right? (laughs) Yeah? Yeah? Maybe, I don't know. Okay, okay. But the, the idea is if if I am going to be faithful to God and I'm going to pursue justice in the calling that I have, I don't have the power to change everything. But I have the power to do my job with integrity. Yeah? You see what I'm saying? So so we have jobs and callings in it. Then this is one category. I know this is we up in the, in the weeds a little bit. I want you to, to listen to this this, this statement. It's called mediating institutions. I know we're getting a little dorky, but it's okay. Mediating, mediating institutions are, are groupings of people that have tried to accomplish something that's not, it's not the church and it's not the state. But it sees an issue and it has a joint calling to do something. So I'll give you an example of that. Uh, in our city, we see that there is an issue with affordable housing. Yeah? So there's this thing called Homes of Hope. It's not the government, it's not the church. But it's people who have a joint calling, they band together and they start to do something about the problem that they see. So when you hear about the litany of problems that exist in our society and you say, I'm going to fix it, man, I love you. Like you're not that cool. <laughs> you can't do everything, right? But, but the question is, God, where have you called me? What have you called me? Now, now imagine if all of us lived in that way. Look, we don't have to worry about, about uh, our eternity is secure in Christ Jesus. But we look around and we say, how can I serve my neighbor well? And if we all commit to doing that and doing what we are charged to do justly, then we will see the change that we want to see. Does that make sense? So, beloved... Asking God, what is my job? What are my callings? What are my responsibilities? And how do I do those well? Over time, that's how stuff gets fixed. Which is kind of frustrating because you wanted to get fixed right now, right? But we got to trust in God's prov- uh, providence, do the good, and trust him. Okay? All right. So I know that was a little nerdy. I just didn't know when else to tell y'all that. So there it is. All right. Okay. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what is God calling us to do? He's calling us to have simple faithfulness. And in that simple faithfulness to his gospel and to one another, to prayer, to trusting in providence, he does produce change in us and change in those around us. Let's pray. Jesus, I am asking that that you would help us to be faithful to the things that we have to do. Lord, let's not be, let us not be carried away by, by, by everything to be caught up in anxiety and immobility uh, to, to make us not pay attention to what you have called us to do. But Lord, help us to stay rooted and grounded in your word, in the gospel of grace. And help us to encourage one another to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.